Welcome to Tales from the Multiverse, where I, Gabe Sluice, will spin you stories from worlds parallel and beyond our own. This week, I'll be reading to you the short story, Who is Laura Clark, from my short story collection, Movement. You guys are going to want to pay attention to today's podcast because this story has a lot to do with the upcoming novel I'm working on, Behold the Interstice. I hope you enjoy. Who is Laura Clark? It was noon at the Golden Lantern Retirement Community when the Clarks gathered. They came from across the state to celebrate the 93rd birthday of their mother, grandmother, and for some, great-grandmother, Laura Clark. For most, the event was more of a family reunion than strictly a birthday party, especially since 93 was an odd birthday to insist on a large gathering. But the family complied not to discredit the years conquered by the amazing woman who had given them all so much. Aurelia Kelly arrived late. She was 24 with wild brown hair that she gave little attention. She was relieved to find, upon meeting the rest of the extended clan in the large wrecked room reserved for the occasion, that she was not the only one who was dressed casual for the occasion. Working through the room, saying her manufactured sincerities to the knots of family she passed, Aurelia was drawn into a longer pause with a group of cousins that were all around her age. Elle! A blonde girl cried, getting up from her seat on the table. She threw her arms around Aurelia energetically. Hey Ashley, long time. What's new? Oh, you will never guess. Gran, help me get into Stanford! Stanford, can you believe it? That's so great, Aurelia answered. With five other aunts and uncles, Aurelia had a huge pool of cousins to keep track of. Mainly due to the coloring of spouses, the cousins generally came out and tended to group into two ways. There was the clicky blondes and the loner brunettes. At family gatherings like this, the blondes were led by her cousin Meredith, who was redheaded, strangely enough. The blondes were always kind and accepting of the brunettes, but outside of forced family interaction, they were not as inclusive. Meredith was the oldest of three, and her father came from a wealthy family. He was wealthy in a way that not even Laura Clark had been able to pass on to her five daughters. Uncle Peter had a cabin in the Catskills, and Meredith had a pension for inviting only her blonde cousins up to the lakeside cabin in the summer. Aurelia had seen pictures of the group having a great time posted on Facebook, but never had the drive to point out that she would love to be invited along. I'm so nervous and excited, Ashley continued. I knew Gran said she would help any of us get into school there since she had connections, but I still can't believe they took me. She's pretty great, Aurelia agreed, scanning the room for the woman of the hour. She got me and Mikey in the same way. If it wasn't for her, I don't know if I ever would have gotten my journalism degree. Oh, I don't know about that, Meredith said, joining the group. You were always Gran's favorite, Elle. I don't know about that either. Excuse me, guys. I should really go find the birthday girl and say hello. Aurelia escaped from the clump and wound her way back to a nook in the back of the room. There was bookshelves lining the walls of the little alcove, with a pair of sitting chairs on top of a nice rug. Laura Clark sat in one of the seafoam high-backed chairs, facing diagonally out at the large picture window, a hardback in her hand. Hey there, old lady. What are you reading? Laura Clark wore a dark blue sweater over a white floral print dress. She was still thin, but not frail though her skin and dark gray hair gave away her age. She jumped at the voice, putting down her book and embracing her granddaughter. Oh, Ella, I'm so happy you made it. I've so been missing you. I've missed you too, Grand. 
I should have come by since after I graduated, but I've been so busy with work and looking for big girl jobs. It's no excuse, though. Oh, doll, it's fine, really. I want you to focus on yourself and starting a career. You remember what I told you at your graduation, don't you? How could I forget, Aurelia said, shaking her head at her grandmother. Right in front of my boyfriend and everyone, you told me to forget about boys and pursue my dreams, that I shouldn't depend on any man. And I meant it, despite how your own mother reacted to that statement. Yeah, well, the funny thing was that Brad told me later he was planning to propose there at the ceremony, and you threw him off so bad he couldn't do it. Oh no, you didn't! No, no, no. And it wasn't your fault. He was trying to fix our problems by getting in deeper. I would have said no anyway. But I still think he owes you for not embarrassing himself in front of everyone. Still, darling, she said, placing her hands over Aurelia's. In fact, over the past few months, I have really taken your advice to heart. I want to secure myself before I do anything else. That's why I've been working hard on landing a writing job. I'm trying for a lot of newspapers and magazines, but it's really tough. They want to see a portfolio of work. The best I can do is to come up with some articles on my own, since I have nothing previously published. I want to tell you a story. If you want to write about it and use it on your resume, I would love to be of help. It's a story no one will ever believe, and probably won't ever matter. Either way things turn out. I want to tell you a short tale about my life. My whole life, from the very beginning. Okay, Aurelia said, confused. She looked at the hardback book her grandmother had put aside. Dynamics of nuclear fission. The hum of the party-slash-reunion continued in the background as the two women talked, forgetting the world around them. I was born in 1921 in Dallas, Texas. My last name was Blickton back then, before I was married. My father was a grocer, and my mother sold hats in a department store. I was an only child, but my mother desperately wanted more. She was from Germany and missed having a large, close family. I guess in a way, her desire for family was passed on to me. But I've learned, sometimes having a large family is more about financial feasibility. That was the lesson I took from my mother. Sometimes it takes more than love to run a huge ship. But I got it right, eventually. I think the whole family thinks you did fine, Gran. Look at us. We are all here for you. Hush, she scolded the young girl. Don't try to distract me with a bunch of silly praise. I'm trying to tell you something serious. Oh, sorry, Gran. Now, where was I? Yes, so, I lived a normal life growing up in Texas. All the pretty girls had light brown hair and dresses from the catalogs. I, unfortunately, never fit properly into those dresses. My father was a boxer before he sold produce, and he had the upper body of a gorilla. His legs, though, they were skinny as toothpicks. Those broad shoulders were passed on to me, and with my dark hair, darker than yours, I didn't fit in with the pretty girls. I didn't own a horse like the rancher's daughters. I was a mess back then. But I met a boy my senior year of high school. My friend and I, Pam, who your aunt is named after, went out to Galveston one weekend. We told our parents we were going to a fabric shop, and we were going to visit some of Pam's cousins. We did neither. Aurelia sat back with a bemused grin on her face, as she watched the far-off look in her grandmother's eyes, as she told the story about her late teenage rebellion. It was pretty cute to imagine a younger version of her old grand lying to her great-grandparents. 
It was 1939, and no one questioned a pair of dolled-up girls in a dinner club. In fact, we were not out of place at all. We danced and had a few drinks. Overall, a wonderful night. And that's where I met Thomas Clark. He was tall and handsome. I knew right away I had to get to know him. It was as if something was drawing me to him. I walked right up to him and demanded he buy me a drink. Without even smiling, he nodded and got me what I wanted. And that was how it was the rest of the time I knew him. That tall, quiet boy rarely smiled and spoke only when he had to. I think I'll always love him most for that, never opening his mouth more than necessary. Laura Clark let out a solid laugh, causing a few heads to turn in amusement. She shook her head at her own private joke and then continued. I got his address and we kept in touch. Because he was in the Navy. I know this bit, Aurelia said, encouraging the story. Oh, you think you know this bit, Laura said with a smirk. He was, and the war had not yet fully begun for our side. But he was off sailing the high seas nonetheless. Thomas was all I could think about those years I stayed home and he was off. I saw him occasionally when he would come back on leave and we planned on getting married. I went to secretary school while I waited for his service to end, but it never did. Aurelia noticed the story was making a turn that she did not recognize. She had heard this from her mother, the story of her grandparents, a hundred times, and this was starting to veer away from what she knew. In November 1945, I was 24 years old. Thomas was out in the Pacific, helmsman on a heavy cruiser called the Northampton. They named the battle Tasfong, after the damn place it was fought. Thomas's ship was hit hard by a torpedo at the end of the battle, and the whole ship caught fire and sunk. Most of the men aboard died, including my quiet Tom. Aurelia shook her head. No, no, Gran. Grandpa didn't die in the war. He survived that battle because of a letter you wrote him. He came home and you had six kids and became a geology professor. I remember Grandpa from when I was four, right before he died of cancer. Quiet, girl. Do you want to hear my story or not? I told you I would tell you this story from the beginning, and this is what happened. All right, Gran, I'm listening. He died, and I was heartbroken. I was silly and couldn't get over it. By the time the war was over, I was in my mid-twenties and had finally grown into my looks. Boys were interested in me, but I just didn't have the equipment inside to deal with them. I kept to myself and worked as a secretary, eventually moving out to California. There was a big boom in defense contracts and there was plenty of work in the towns that sprung up around the companies. I took a job at an insurance firm, and that was where I met Dale. The long of it was that he wore me down. He was ten years older than me and also fought in the war. His hair was thinning, he had a slight gut, and he never kept his mouth shut. I swear that man had no filter. I guess that was part of the thing that held my attention at first. He was persuasive. But as an insurance salesman, I guess that is a prerequisite. In my own defense, I turned 28 and my biological clock started ticking. He pursued me relentlessly, and I figured that I might as well jump before I woke up someday at 40, all alone because I couldn't get over something more than a schoolgirl crush on a dead man. So he got married and had two children. No! Dale left his job to start his own insurance company. No! It didn't take off the way he hoped. He was always gone at work while I stayed home with the kids. Gran, that's not how it happened. I grew to hate him, but life just kept going on. 
I became best friends with my children, the oldest boy we named Mark, and the girl, Susie. Grand, stop! Aurelia begged. This is silly. You won the Vetlosin for your work in Central America. They included geology as a category for Nobel Prizes after your discoveries. You pressured the scientific community into recognizing that Earth scientists are just as important as the physicists. I know, dear, Laura said. But first, I settled for a slimy insurance salesman and grew old and even more restless. The highlights of my day were reading National Geographic and spending time with you. Wait, of course it wasn't really you. It was Susie, but you two are the same. Separate lives of the same person. Same looks, same personality. It's the strangest thing. It's like you were meant to be in this world, one way or another. It just took a generation for you to show up. Aurelia was speechless. Susie? She went to open her mouth to speak, unsure herself of what would come out, when she was interrupted. The lights went down and everyone started singing. A large cake with a conflagration atop came whisked out into the room. Everyone stopped what they were doing and sang. Everyone except Aurelia. Cake was served. Toasts were made. The birthday girl was brought to the center of attention, away from her favorite granddaughter and away from the middle of her story. Aurelia sat in her chair, unable to move. Unwilling to move is more like it, she thought to herself. Thoughts ran wild across her head none staying long enough to catch and take root. She wanted more than anything to hear the rest of her grandmother's story. The beautiful woman celebrating her 93rd birthday had never led her astray before. There was no reason not to hear the story to the end. The party soon disintegrated. Laura Clark gave special attention to each guest as they said their goodbyes, coming to tears over every member of her huge clan. Families sensed the closing of the gathering and came up with excuses to leave. The guests dwindled down to a single remaining granddaughter. As the staff cleaned the room of plastic cups and cake plates, the two women sat back in their chairs. Why did you want a big birthday party this year? We didn't even have something for you like this three years ago, Aurelia said, fighting back her own tears. Because last time, I only made it halfway past 93. Are you seriously telling me that you lived a full life of 93 years and then did the same one over again? Laura Clark nodded. That's the question I have asked myself my whole life. What would you do if you lived your life through and then woke up, knowing all you know, and got to try it again? And so I did. I knew just what to say to Thomas when I saw him that second time in the club. I've never really gotten over him, even after 90 years. There was no way I was not going to see how my life would turn out if I kept him alive. I sent him a letter. I made sure it would get to him in plenty of time. I told him not to open it until November, since it had been so many years since I could remember the exact day his ship participated in that surprise attack. I was amazed by how much I remembered of the event. It was not like I knew I would live my life over again, and that I should study before I went into the next cycle. I told him I had a dream. He was the helmsman of the ship, and I told him that I dreamed he would die if he didn't move the ship as the battle drew to a close. He was on one of the last ships, covering the others as they left the attack. The Northampton was hit right on the keel. He listened to my letter, and at that moment he turned the ship against the captain's orders, and the torpedoes hit on the side where the sealed bulkheads kept the ship afloat long enough for an orderly evacuation. Apparently there was still a large fire, but most everyone got off of the ship. 
He came home to me and I had the family I wanted, rather than the one I settled for. I was sad when you didn't show up. Six daughters and not one of them was you. I went to college rather than wasting my time being subservient to a career-minded man. I got a PhD in geology, which always interests me. Those articles in National Geographic kept coming back to me. I focused my research on the KPG event and proved that it was an asteroid that hit Central America and broiled all the dinosaurs. I worked on that for 20 years, stealing the ideas from people in the future who didn't get a chance to look into the events because I had the inside information. Still, it was fulfilling work. I got to raise my large family the way I wanted, and the feeling of restlessness is gone. I truly feel that this was the way I was meant to live life. The same old life. And it was just me who was different. And what? Did you think this would happen again? That you will die and wake up again as a child in the 20s? I don't know, dear, Laura said. I just don't know. But in the last decade, it has been on my mind. Part of me hopes not. I don't want to do it over again. I know I won't be able to just keep living the same thing like that movie, Life In and Life Out. And what happens to all my children? What happens to my beautiful daughter Susie if I have children with somebody different? Tears filled both Laura and Aurelia's eyes. Laura cupped her granddaughter's cheek in one palm. But if I can't stop it, what can I do? Maybe next time you will come back as a great-granddaughter. Maybe this world will keep going on without me. You will live your life out on your own, not ceasing to exist because I have to start over again. Perhaps I'm starting my own reality each time. In less than six months I'll know, and that scares me. All I can do is my best to make this world a better place in case one day I don't come back. I have to look at this like it's a gift, Laura said, wiping the tears from her eyes. It's all I can do. I was pitiful the first time through, selfish the second, and if I can do it a third... I will be selfless. Oh, Gran! Aurelia cried, throwing her arms around her frail grandmother. I hope to see you again, love. It has been the greatest joy of my life seeing you again. I knew just as soon as I saw you as a newborn, I recognized you right off. You were my link to the life I deserve, an echo of the life I should have had for being a scared, indecisive girl. Don't live your life the way that I did, she whispered into Aurelia's ear. Do what makes you happy. Write about me, and I hope I don't come back to erase all of what you become. But if not, I'll be on the lookout for you, and make sure you're named Aurelia. I was so unimaginative calling you Susie the first time around. Alright, there it is. That is Who is Laura Clark. Hopefully you have a better idea, and when the book comes out, you'll have an even better idea of who she is when you read the first couple chapters that introduce her. Until then, check out all my other books that I put up for free on Smashwords, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, anywhere you get quality ebooks. Finally, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Gabe Sluice, and you can tell me all about how I'm not going to win any awards for voice acting. Thanks, guys. I'll see you next week.